It's good to be back. Uh, County Armagh, North Coast, lot nicer like, but uh, it's nice to come be home. Uh, so this morning, I just want to uh, I want to start off by saying that a lot of stuff I'm going to go over this morning is a recap of maybe something that I've said as I've been up and been led by the Spirit, or I've shared one Wednesday night where there was only four people here, so you're going to hear some of it again. Uh, um, some of it's stuff that maybe Neil has shared and I've jotted down, or Neville or Amy. Who, it's just stuff that I've been jotting down um, through the course of, of months. Um, and what I want to share on this morning is the foundations of prayer. And uh, again, it's one of those basics that I really feel that we need to keep going back to, and we need to keep getting it right because it is a treasure that has been given to us for an ultimate purpose. That last song, when Jesus died on the cross, it gave us access to the Father, to the King of Kings, gave us intimate access to him, to speak with him, to commune with him, to hear from him. And so it's such a privilege to get to do it. And so I believe that stuff that I'm going to share today is key in sustaining um, the rhythm of prayer in our lives. And so um, I want to show you a few pictures to start off with, stuff that, that Neil has made us aware of, and that uh, next one. Uh, so this was uh, Jakarta this year. 100,000 Christians gathered to pray with permission from their Muslim government in Indonesia. What we didn't see was afterwards, um, a lot of the Muslims took to the street um, in the same way against it. Um, but it's amazing that uh, in Jakarta, there were thousands of Christians on the streets, in the stadium, from all over Asia, coming to worship and to pray for Asia. Next one. 1.2 million people gathered in uh, South Africa to pray with Angus Buchan uh, a few months ago. Next one. Last, last month, yeah, we gathered um, in one of 37 cathedrals in the UK to pray, Your Kingdom Come on the Saturday before Pentecost. Um, and on the 9th of September, there's been a call for 100,000 Christians in Northern Ireland to gather at Nuts Corner to pray. I think Angus Buchan's going to be there, and Robin Mark, who else but Robin Mark to lead worship. But we're, we're calling people to come together on the 9th of September to pray at Nuts Corner. They've already started praying there on a weekly basis, laying the foundation and the ground for what's going to come. And so we're seeing an increase across the globe very evidentially, this is only a few pictures of people and their urgency to pray. And they're gathering and they're coming out and they're gathering together in public places and they are longing for the presence and influence and intervention of the Father. But what I realize from all of these things is that it has been one person that has started these. One person that heard from the Father in a place of intimacy and then has influenced these other people, has influenced them and called them to come together to pray, expecting more than has been expected before. And so I want to read this verse again because I think it's so key. Um, a couple of months ago, uh, I've told a story. I went and uh, Neil and I got the, the, the pleasure of meeting the guy that is, is in the middle of writing the Passion Translation. Um, he explained how he's writing it from the original Hebrew and Greek and the heart behind it and the reason behind it. And so it's something that I use along with other translations just to get a better understanding of the word. And for me, it, it really helps it to come alive. But he talked about being people of influence. And he told the story of Charles Finney. It was said that um, he had a 50-mile radius around him. When he walked through New York for 50 miles, people fell under a repentant spirit of, God, I need you. 
people's cancer disappeared, people were healed, different things happened. And so he started telling the story, God, I want that influence. And he told the story of being on an airplane. And uh, he said, I got upgraded to first class for free before people start saying I'm paying for first class. He said he got upgraded for free and he sat beside this little Chinese man and the little Chinese man started going, fire, fire, started looking at him, fire. And the guy looked back at him, Brian Simmons, and he said, yeah, I'm just coming from the fire conference in Detroit. And he said, no, I see fire. And he seen something on him. He's seen an influence on him without even having to speak. And by the end, to cut a long story short, by the end of that plane ride, the whole of first class were in tears, weeping, repenting before the Father. And the stewardess was on her knees wanting to accept Jesus. And so I was sitting there in the middle of that, Neil's testimony, and I was sitting, God, I want that. God, I want that. And as I was saying that, uh, Dr. Brian Sims looked down at me and he said, you are asking for that, aren't you? And I just, I said, yes. But what we don't realize is the cost of what it takes to get to that place. And so I believe Romans 15, 13, I'm not lingering on it too long, is the key, the key to that influence. Now may God, the inspiration and the fountain of hope, number one, fill you to the overflowing with uncontainable joy, number two, and the perfect peace as you trust, number three, in him. And may the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround your life with his super abundance until you radiate with hope. And so the words are hope, joy, and peace. And so as, as you were standing up here, Gina, I told you that I felt like the Father was saying, I want to honor you for your intentional joy. Jean doesn't always have to be filled with joy, but every time you meet Jean, she is filled with joy. And so as people who know Jesus, I believe that part of our influence is to be intentionally filled with joy, hope, and peace that overflows from the Father, that comes from what we're going to talk about today, the foundations of prayer. And so when I talk about prayer, we often talk about the disciplines of prayer. Disciplines are good, don't get me wrong. If you take anything wrong from me today, you can talk to me afterwards, because I just say what's, what's, what's on my heart. And so whenever we talk about prayer, we talk about disciplines, but I believe we need to get rid of that, how we talk about it, how we view it. And we need to move from a spiritual discipline to a spiritual privilege. It is a spiritual privilege to talk to the Father. And so we have to move from a I have to to I get to. I have to is completely different to I get to. And so if there was kids listening, any kids, this just came to me this morning because my head thinks like a child. And I've been with my kids all week. 24 hours a day, solid for seven days. It was a great holiday, but I'm so glad to get back to work. And so this week we have seen pirate ships. We have played pirate games. Uh, Joshua and Daniel and Reuben won pirate guns and swords and eye patches. And they've been going, arr, and all this here. And so this morning, you can go back to that first one. I want to do the five hours. Five hours. Of prayer, and you know, it's so simple. But really, as I thought about this this morning, I was trying to explain it to the boys. I said, "You know what? The devil's like a pirate, and he wants to steal the treasure that God has given you. And one of those treasures is prayer, because he wants to bury it. He wants you to lose it. He wants you to he wants you to forget how special a treasure it really is. And so we're going to go over the five hours. And there's no kids, so we'll not do it again." But it's so important that we get these because he wants to steal our treasures. The pirate. And so the first one is relationship. 
And this is the foundation, this is the key, and I am going to go over a couple of things that I've said before. But one of them is, before we become a city on a hill, we need to learn to illuminate the table that we sit at. And so often we want the big, the bold, we want the great adventures, but we're not willing to stick with the people. I'm going to use you a lot this morning, Jane, because it's your fault you came up here. And Ian. The hard work of people that just need hope and need peace and need love and are hard work. And so it starts with relationship because we have to illuminate the table with our wife, with our kids. We have to bring the light of the Father of Heaven, the light of the gospel, everything that's in us to the table where we are sitting at home and our friends and our family before we even dare step out through the door. We need to move from the McDonald's drive through Had a few of them this week. And I need vegetables, please, I need vegetables. To the five-course meal where we sit down with the Father and we talk about our day and we listen, and we chat, and we rest, and we relax. Maybe we fall asleep, whatever it is, but we need to learn the art of relationships again because longevity equals relationship. And so a very telltale sign of this is how are you known by your family? How are you known in the office? How are you known in your church? And so whenever we start with a relationship, how we value it with the Father will come out in how we value others around us. How do you value the people that sit next to you in your workplace or in the bus? Do you place value in the overflow that you have going into the people around you? And so James Gall says this about relationship. I think the Lord likes to play hide and seek. He hides the revelation so we will seek after it. Usually the answer doesn't come by just knocking at his door. He invites us to come in, to sit down, to have some refreshment together. As we connect heart to heart, he weaves a beautiful tapestry of gold and silver threads of our lives woven with threads of his love and destiny. It is a priceless fabric, delicate but sturdy, glorious but also humble. His heart is that these threads become woven so tightly and securely together that as this tapestry nears completion, we lose sight of the individual threads. We can't tell anymore where our threads begin and his end. In fact, as we grow in grace, love, and understanding, we stop trying to figure it out, and we say, more of you and less of me. And so as we strive to do that, you know, we're going to have bad days. Ask Nick, but last Saturday, I had one of those days where if you would have looked at me, I had to face you, and I knew it. I had to apologize on Sunday, but I knew it. And so as we come together in family and relationship, we have grace for those days, but we also call each other to the next level. We're also able to say, pull you by the scruff of the neck and say, what on earth is wrong with you? And so we need intimacy with the Father, but it also leads to intimacy with each of us as we're on mission together. And so he longs again to have that Adam and Eve walk in the garden where he holds our hand and he walks with us and he talks to us. He walks with me and he talks with me, one of my favorite songs. And so one of Neil's things that he said this summer is that we become so preoccupied with the process that we forget the purpose. And so in prayer, we forget the purpose because we're so focused on the process of the lists, of the hows, of the whys, of the time. And so I know you've heard this all before. It's staying in the obvious. But I believe what I'm going to share this morning is foundational and basic for powerful prayer. And so I want to set it all up. In a relationship, this is where we need to start. 
this is where it all flows from. And it's, uh, I'm going to read from Romans 8. I don't have it up there, I'm sorry. Romans 8, 14. It says this about sons and daughters. This is where a relationship starts, as sons and daughters. It says that mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. Think about that. You have to be in a relationship. You have to be talking to. You have to be hearing from the Spirit to be moved by the Spirit. And so, and did you not receive the spirit of religious duty? Or, I'm sorry, and you did not receive the spirit of religious duty or slavery, leading back into the fear of never being good enough, but you have received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding you into the family of God. And you will never feel orphaned, for as he rises up within us, our spirit joins him in saying the words of tender affection, Beloved Father, or Abba Father. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, You are God's beloved child. This is this key and the starting block for a relationship. You are God's beloved child. And since we are his true children, we qualify to share all his treasures. For indeed, we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. We will experience being co-glorified with him, provided that we accept his suffering as our own. And that's really the context of the fact that we accept that all things work together for the good. Not all things work, not all things are good, but all things work together for the good of those. That sometimes when we give our lives to him, it's going to be hard. We're going to grow character, but we accept that because we're filled with hope, peace, and love of who he is in us. And so this morning we have to come with that focus of who we are in him. And so there's three different ways that we can come to the Father in relationship. Number one this morning is as our daddy, as our Abba. And I believe as we're praying for these people this morning, we're coming as, as daddy. These people are hurting and broken. And we're asking you to intervene. We're asking you to break our hearts so that we can be more effective. That we can have wisdom in these situations. We come as a loving father who holds us close. Then the next one is father. You know, sometimes this week, you can guess out of all the kids who I maybe had to give off to a little bit but it tells us in Hebrews that if you don't accept correction then you're an illegitimate child and so sometimes when we come to the father in relationship it's sometimes he's saying you know what son there's a few things that I need you just to change there's a few things in your life that need to go there's a few things that I want to give you but these things need to go and so there's the loving father daddy there's father sometimes son you need to listen to me and there's also judge and so the judge for those who know Jesus is different from the judge for the judge for people who don't know Jesus. And so our judge is not the judge of you're wrong, boom, boom, boom. The judge that we have is this Abba, this Father who is sitting watching us in our race and wanting to reward us. He judges us. He judges us on the overflow of what we do for him in the kingdom. He's judging to reward, not to condemn. Because we have grace. We have his righteousness that is imparted into us. And so that's where we want to start from this morning. But as we seek to build a relationship with the Father, it leads to hard decisions. It leads to what was originally sacrificed, but to get an hour, it's relinquished. Whenever we come before the Father in relationship, ultimately things are going to change in our lives. And so if you want to gain 
you have to give away. And so many people nowadays, they believe that tomorrow's call gives you authority today. They've had words spoken over them. They've had things, you're going to be this, you're going to be that. And they live in it right now. But actually, it doesn't give you the authority today. Sometimes we're called to sacrifice things that maybe aren't bad for us, but it's not great. And so we want relationship without relinquish. We want the relationship without relinquish. And so Luke 14, verse 27, 28, it says, And anyone who comes to me must be willing to share my cross and experience it as his own, or he cannot be considered my disciple. So don't follow me without considering what it will cost you. For who would construct a house before first sitting down to estimate the cost to complete it? Otherwise, he may lay the foundation but not be able to finish. And so giving your life to Jesus... Seeking him in a relationship is the best thing that you can ever do. Understanding who you are as a son and daughter is the best thing that you can ever do. But with that comes hard choices. With that comes God saying, I want you to move from Brazil to Jordan. I want you to give everything up and go. It's going to ask for sacrifice in your life because when you become intimate with him, he will start speaking to you in ways that you have never imagined. Second Samuel verse 23, 15 to 17 should be up on the screen. I said that David remarked longingly to his men, oh, how I would love some of that good water from the well by the gate of Bethlehem. So the three broke, the famous three, broke through the the Philistine lines, drew some water from the well by the gate of Bethlehem and brought it back to David, but he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out as an offering to the Lord. The Lord forbid that I should drink this, he exclaimed. This water is as precious as the blood of these men who risked their lives to bring it to me. So David did not drink it. And so sometimes as we are called to relinquish, to sacrifice, we're going to be called to make decisions that, in the face of it, annoy people. In the face of it, make other people probably feel a bit down, make them feel rejected, but ultimately it's for their good. And whenever I felt the Lord giving me this verse, it was actually for Bridget, who's fostering these kids. And I felt like God was saying to her, that the decisions that you're making for them now, they might throw them back in your face, but as they look down the road, they're going to realize that it was because of your decisions that their lives are changed. And so sometimes as we become before the Father, we're going to need to make decisions that might not make us popular, that might make people think that we're crazy as they look on from the outside because they don't understand who we are listening to and who we're serving. And so we want our lives to say that, God, we are taking you seriously, and God, I'm ready for you to mess up my life. And so if you take him seriously, if you're hearing his voice, which every one of us have the, the uh, privilege of doing, you're going to be asked to make decisions like King David that might make you unpopular, that might make people think they're not normal. I think most of us in this room have had that, maybe have that said about us. And so he will make your life uncomfortable. He will mess up your great plans and ambitions, but most of the time in amazing ways. And so I, I met a, a lady um, to talk about Tin House on Friday and ended up talking for an hour and a half about everything else but that and came away and my whole soul was just refreshed. I came out saying, God, that wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And I realized in that moment, she gave me a word in the middle of it, and I realized that everything in my heart that I probably wanted and the way I thought God was going to do things, I just felt like God was, going to, it was saying to me, I'm not going to do things the way you think I'm going to do them. 
And over this last two years, God has done stuff in my life and in Nicola's life in ways that we didn't maybe want or think he was going to do them. And so sometimes God's going to take your great plans and make them even greater because they're his plans. And so God doesn't want us in this moment of relationship just to have great ideas. He wants us to have revelation of God. And so I think sometimes I have so many great ideas, but unless it is revelation from the Father, then it's not going to take us very far. If, uh, about a year ago now, I was at a conference and God asked me this question, are you willing to inconvenience yourself for my sake? And a great example of that is the two that I've talked about this morning, Ian and, and you guys. So often we overcomplicate the gospel. We overcomplicate the kingdom of God. We overcomplicate the call. We overcomplicate everything I feel in the kingdom of God. But God is, wants to keep it simple. The simple thing he asks me is you're willing to inconvenience yourself. And, you know, whenever you start to prayer, he'll break your heart in very simple ways. And what you do in response to those things that he is telling you in that secret quiet place is ultimately how he's going to use you for the bigger and the greater and the grander. Uh, William Booth from the Salvation Army was asked, uh, he went to a church plant and they said, we're not seeing very much fruit for our labor. We don't know what to do. And they said, what do we do? I don't know if they called him Major Booth or whatever it was. And he, he took a bit of, of paper and he wrote on it and he teared it off and he gave it to him. And it simply said tears. The simplicity of the gospel is that when we come in a relationship and we start to sacrifice God is going to break our hearts in a way that will cause us to move from Brazil to Jordan. That will cause us to be on the streets night and day looking for the people that need hope. That will cause us to be the best husbands and wives and uncles and aunties that we have ever been. So as people look on, they will think, what do they have? Brian Slink said that the first characteristic of the kingdom of heaven is the overflowing joy that comes from contrition and repentance. Tears of contrition soften even the hardest heart. And Stanfield says that my church will never grow when my eyes are dry. And so if I can, you can take anything away from this morning in relationship, ask God to break your heart for something very simple. What is God, I'm sure most of you already know what it is. What is God breaking your heart for? What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of a heart that will cry over something? We live in a time now where everything is now. If we can't find our way, we put it into the sat-nav. And it usually takes longer to get there because the sat-nav doesn't know where it's going. Um, the attention span of people in the last 10 years has reduced by 25%. And so we're in a generation and a time, it doesn't matter if you're in the millennials like I just scrape into or whether you're the Generation X or whatever the ones are before that, we are all in a generation and in a time where it's now, now. We didn't have Wi-Fi all week and... It was hard going. Now, now, now. And we think that God works that way. But what I found is that God doesn't work on a now, now, now. One writer says that the Father's vagueness is our permission to explore. Sometimes he's vague with us because he wants more from us. He wants us to set aside time in relationship. He wants us to sacrifice because he knows that unless we do that, we will not hear the more. He wants us to seek, to ask, and to find. And in Samuel it said that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And I think it was Neville who was saying, 
that the reason it was rare is because no one was listening. God was still speaking, but no one was listening. And I believe that the next hour, that revelation comes in rest. As we learn in relationship, relinquish. Then we understand that we have to rest. We have to actually rest in who we are with regards to being sons and daughters, but also physically learn how to rest. And so your your ability to rest is critical for your ability and capacity to receive and explore. Roy Godwin says that rest is the incubation bed of revelation. You wonder why you're drying up. You wonder why you are not getting the same revelation as other people. You wonder why God is not using you in the same ways as you see him using other people. Then I believe that rest is the key. Learning to stop, to sit, and to rest. Sometimes I lie on the floor in the living room on the carpet, which now smells of baby book, so I don't really lie there too often. But I love to lie there and turn the music on and fall asleep in the presence of the Lord about midnight when the kids are all asleep eventually. Where is it that you need to go? I have so many books and things that I want to read. I have so many things that I want to do, sermons that I want to listen to. But when's the last time you just lay on the couch? No no agenda, but just to sit in the presence of God. Not even with a list, but your agenda is just to sit in the presence of God. Jack Frost says that sons find true comfort in times of quietness and solitude. As they rest in the Father's presence and love, they have discovered that once having tasted of the place of rest, everything that the world or religiosity has to offer peels in comparison. Nothing compares with the comfort and joy of a son basking in the unconditional love of the Father. And that's where we need to start. In rest, time, with the Father, with unconditional love. Sometimes by doing less, we achieve more. Smith Wigglesworth was famous for saying this, enter into the promises of God. It is your inheritance. You will do more in one year if you are filled with the Holy Ghost than you could do in 50 years apart from him. Who knows that to be true? But yet we continue to do the opposite. We continue to try and strive in the physical natural to do more. And so when you start doing this, you join in the conversation that's already happening. Um, Romans 8 verse 26 says this, And in a similar way, the Holy Spirit takes hold of us in our human frailty to empower us in our weakness. For example, at times we don't even know how to pray or know the best things to ask for, but the Holy Spirit rises up within us to super intercede. And um, the original Hebrew, it actually translates to hyper intercede on our behalf, pleading to God with emotional sighs too deep for words. God, the searcher of the heart, knows fully our longings, yet he also understands the desires of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit passionately pleads before God for us, his holy ones in perfect harmony with God's plan and our destiny. There's a conversation already happening about us in the heavenly realms. Psalm 85 that says that he goes before us in his righteousness. And so if he's before us, why do we spend so long trying to come up with great prayers and things to pray about? When actually in the place of rest, we need to sit down and say, God, what do you want to put in my heart to pray for today? Where do we need to go in this time of rest today? God, before I start praying for others, what are the things that are just getting in the way 
that I'm putting there? What barriers am I creating? What sins am I carrying? What feelings am I harboring from people? What attitudes and moods have I had in the last hour or day that need to go before I can actually truly pray for others and intercede for others? And so there's already a great conversation going on. Pete Craig says this about rest. We believe in efficiency and speed, which is of great value. But I find that God goes slowly in his educational process of humanity. God walks slowly because he is love. Love has its speed. It's a different speed to we are accustomed. It is three miles per hour, the speed we walk. The speed he walks in love. And you know, so often we are going at 73 miles per hour. And it happened to me yesterday in the motorway. I was going 70, I think. And... A car in front of me was going a lot slower, but I didn't realize how slow it was going. I had to slam the brakes on. And so sometimes we're rushing around. We're trying to get everything done. We're so great at doing things for the Lord. But yet in love, he is just walking slowly at three miles an hour. And we're like, we want to go. We want to go. We want to overtake. We want to move. Why are you not doing this quicker? Why are you not answering this? Why are you not moving in this way that I expect you to move? And yet he's saying, because I love you. And because you haven't asked me where you're going yet. You haven't asked me what I think of this. And so he goes slowly in love. You know, in Jesus' three years of ministry, he still, Pete Craig says this, he still found times for parties and picnics, which means he was officially less busy than all of us. In his three years of ministry, he had time for parties and picnics with people that he shouldn't have parties and picnics with according to religion. But yet it was in those moments where the character and love and hope and peace of God flooded into situations. As Jesus spent time with the Father and was led by the Spirit, he knew exactly what those people needed. He knew exactly where to be. He knew the moment to say what to say. Frederick Buckner said that the only person in history that didn't have a Messiah complex was the Messiah. Another one said that the difference between God and us is that God doesn't think he's us. And so often we take out of context all things to all men. It wasn't meant to be in that way. Graham Cook says that anybody who has been in ministry, or I put it in, anybody who has been a Christian for long, knows how easy it is to wind up in an excellent working relationship with Jesus, but a lousy friendship. And I am so guilty of this. Where we go with what we need, with things that we need to do and want to do, but we have a horrible friendship. All of our relating to him can become based on our call, and we forget to leave time to worship, to thank him, to bless him, and to wait on him. Most of us don't have time to meditate on God. Then we wonder why we can't access access the deep truths but then Jesus steps in in Matthew eleven twenty eight, and he says this verse for Eugene come to me all who are weary and heavy laden who are carrying a heavy burden and I will give you rest I will give you Sabbath the voice says my yoke is shaped perfectly to your curves shaped perfectly to you, to how unique you are, to what you were created to do. And it's your choice. It says, come to me. 
the Hebrew says, bend your neck to my yoke, submit and surrender, bow the knee to me and see what happens. It's so easy to be driven by vision and not paced by grace. Pete Craig finishes by saying this. He says, I'm tired of living my life like a 17-year-old with his first car, excited, erratic, and always in a rush with only ever five pounds of petrol in the tank or running on fumes. Does anyone in here know what it's like to run with five pounds of petrol in your tank? Always topping up just enough, but then longing for the day when you can afford a full tank. I've realized that I can only afford a full tank if I make it a priority that I'm going to budget for a full tank. And so this morning, one of the important things is prayers that we learn. I'm going to finish with that. We learn what to do with our time so that we're running on a full tank. It's out of the overflow that we operate. And so the next one, we're nearly there. We have a relationship. We have relinquished. We have rest. And ultimately, the purpose of understanding this rest is that it leads to response. Response is a natural out of rest. Floyd McClung says this, but in prayer, as we seek God, we are continually compelled to engage when the things that break his heart, with the things that break his heart and conscripted to go out and engage his enemies. We are compelled. Do you remember there was a verse, Jesus compelled them to get into the boat? He didn't say, if you would like to, there's a wee boat here and you can go into it. He compelled, he forced, he pushed Get into the boat. And so as we spend time with the Father, yes, rest is brilliant. Rest is where he speaks. But ultimately, out of that rest, things are going to be said into our heart. Things are going to be dropped into our lives where we cannot, but not, does that make sense, respond. And he will compel us. He will literally throw you out and say, you need to go for it. And you know, there's so many Christians sitting around and they're waiting for that exact word or the lights in the sky to tell them exactly what to do when he has said, get out there and go. And so to have kingdom power in public, we must practice kingdom presence in private. Ultimately, we need to illuminate the tables that we sit at at home. And so who better to follow and imitate in this than Jesus? Because no one better in history exhibited what it was to be dependent on the Father, on his presence, on his power. And so when Jesus taught us to pray, it was very intentional, it was very, very structured, focused, and it had a rhythm. And the purpose of it was not we need to follow and say exactly our Father out now and how will be their name and our kingdom come. We used to say it in my school all the time. Everyone just chanted it. And for that reason, I decided I'm not going to chant it. I'm not going to repeat what everybody else is doing. But what I failed to realize is that I was doing the process and not the purpose. And so the purpose of the Lord's Prayer is so that we strike the mark. He's given us a rhythm in which we follow so that we can pray in a way that will be effective and strike the mark and change our lives and change the lives of people around us. And so our Father, it starts off our Father, who it is, who are we praying to? Whose son and daughter are we? We begin with the nature of God, not what's on our heart, not the list that we have, but we're starting, Father, we're focusing on you. In heaven is the next one, our Father in heaven. We're focusing on him and where he is. The fact that he is in heaven means that he has a different perspective. He has a different view on everything that's going on in our lives. And so we seek his perspective. We want to bring ourselves into alignment with him. Hallowed be his name. It's all about him. 
It's all about his holiness. It's all about his character. It's all about his will. In light of who you are, I choose to live a life that's holy. Your kingdom come. The purpose of our prayer is this, that your kingdom come. Where I go today, your kingdom come. The people I meet today, your kingdom come. The character that I have today, your kingdom come. Jack Hayford said, Since we know that his is all the kingdom and the power and the glory, how is it that he so restricts himself to the passion of his people? He loves us so much that he wants to engage us in his kingdom come. He wants us to have the opportunity to see things in the natural that are completely supernatural. He wants to amaze us with the words that he speaks to us as we give them to people. They unlock things in their lives that have been there for years. He wants to use us for his kingdom to come. Our inheritance is not just for the golden ticket, but for the now, to be used now. Your will be done. It's the direction that is giving during prayer. We're asking God, what is your will for today in my life, for the people that I'm praying for, for the people that I meet? On earth, it's the result of our prayer and action. You know, as we pray, as we go for a place of relationship, to relinquishment, to rest, God's going to give us stories to tell people of what he's doing in our lives and in the people around us. He's going to give us opportunities to share what he's doing in amazing ways. Give us this day. It's our focus of laying down our rights. So often, just like um, people in the New Testament, we choose the heroic over the saint. People were expecting this great guy to come in and charge with horses, with swords and, and shield, and kill all the people that opposed the Jews. But really, Jesus came in as a saint to be with the meek and the low. And so we have a choice on a daily basis as to what we do with what God has given us. Forgive us our trespasses. He wants us operating out of a place where we're completely loaded with guilt. Where we look at God as judge in the way that uh, people don't know him should be. Instead of the judge, the father that loves us and longs um, to elevate us. And so he wants to keep us as the man of yesterday so we will miss our today and tomorrow. He wants us missing what God has for us right now and what he has for us tomorrow. And lastly, as we forgive those who trespass against us. As we go through this, ultimately the prayer stops and finishes on this. I'm calling you to release what I've given you into others. As we forgive those who trespass against us, really what he's saying is that I want you, out of the overflow of where you're at, in submission to me, to honor everyone that you come across. And really I believe that in a lot of circles, honor has been completely wiped out. Honor means that you leave people in a better place than you find them. Honor begins at home. And I don't like reading this because I am as guilty of it. As you honor your people at home, do you inflict emotional pain with the weapons of dishonor? So think about it. Think about the way you spoke to your wife this morning or the way you spoke to your mom on the phone or the way you spoke to your kids. God calls us at the end of this time of prayer to go and honor, to go and forgive, to go and build up, to go and encourage. The hero, the goal is recognition, but the saint, the goal is love.
whatever you pay a price for is going to stick with you. And so this morning, I'm asking you, are you willing to to pay the price in prayer? Because ultimately on the day where Jesus died on the cross, he built the most important bridge of all time. The one where he made the unaccessible accessible and the unreachable reachable. Where we got the opportunity to be intimate with the Father. And so the last one that I have is one that I just wrote down last night. Number five is routine. And so out of all this, I found that unless I get a routine, um, it's not, not hopeless, but I need a routine. And so I realized I got Nicola a Fitbit last week. And, you know, we live in a Fitbit generation. And what I mean by that, I mean I'm sitting watching TV, and behind the sofa, Nicola's going. <laughs> and, or you, you drive past homes, and there's people out walking around their homes at 2 a.m. in the morning like this. And really all I want to say about routine is that that's out of a place of guilt, not a place of grace. So routine can also become an idol where it becomes out of guilt and not of grace. But when it's established in relationship, in love, in sacrifice, in response, then routine is so good for us because it's out of a place of love that I want to get to that place with you, Father. And for me, it comes, I have a chair where I sit. Nicola has a room where she took over from her dad that she thinks it's super spiritual because Ronnie sat on it for 20 years. There is something in there. I don't know what it is, but there's something. Um, when we were away this week, um, our little nephew was sick, and we found Daniel um, in his wardrobe with a booklet writing down his prayer request, and he said he was in his prayer cupboard. And so you need to get a place that it's a thin place. I know when I sit in my chair, Things just seem to just seem to go. It doesn't matter if the kids are going crazy. I look out the window to the fields, and that's my place where I sit, or I go down to my office. And so I really believe that routine is something that the devil wants to steal routine from you. He corrupts it. He makes it bad. He can make it like the Fitbit, which I'm as guilty of. Oof, I've only got about 2,000 steps. I need to do a bit more. But God wants you to have a routine, not out of guilt, but out of love. And another way of illustrating this is is my little princess here, Sarah. Not you. And so you're my you're my big princess. And this morning I looked at her, and every single day, she's not that smiley, so you might not know what this is like. Every single morning I look at her, I come down, and she has as big as a beam and this look on her face like she's seeing me for the first time. And I just felt like the father was saying, that's the way I want your routine and your relationship and your response to be. That when you get the privilege of, I get to come and to see me every day, I look at you as if I've never seen you before in love and amazement and wonder because you're my child. And so I look forward every single morning to Sarah coming down and I see the look of love and the excitement of seeing me for the first time in the day. And so if we take nothing away from this morning, I want you to take away that, that God longs for you as his son or daughter. Take away the lists. Take away your guilt. He wants to take away your sin. He wants to take away your burdens. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about the finances. Don't worry about your family. Take this in the right context because as you come to me, all these things come into alignment. 
as you seek me first, I will add all these things on to you and so much more. And so I just want to finish it there. There's more, but I think some of you might go into that place of rest if I go on with more. So Father, I just thank you. Girls, you want to play that king in my heart? Is that what you have now? Good, that was the one I was hoping. God, I just thank you. I just thank you that we are coming into a place where I feel you want to stretch a lot of us, where I feel you already are stretching a lot of us. But God, you want to equip us. God, you want to fill us. And so God, I pray that you would help us as a people on mission, as a family on mission together. You would help us to learn how to rest. Rest in you, Lord that you would help us to learn how to be accountable to each other, how to not take offense to each other as we help each other grow in a relationship with you, God. And so, God, I ask even right now for those tears, Lord, that are needed to break our heart for, for people, for people groups, for towns, for nations, for callings, even for sin that's in our lives. God, I just pray right now that your spirit would free those things in this room right now, Lord. We want to hear more of you. We want to see more of your kingdom come. We want to lead people into this family with us, God. We want to bring hope and joy and peace into the circumstances that surround us wherever we are during the week. And God, I thank you for the blessing of being able to fill up on a Sunday, but God, help us to make a count on a Monday. Let's just stand there, feet. And I want you to do one thing as we're going to sing this last song. Had a few prayer points at the end, but I want you to pray this. I dare you to pray, your kingdom come. Personally, your family, corporately, your community. I want you to speak out of the overflow of your heart. What would it look like in your home if his kingdom came? What would it look like in your work if his kingdom came? What would it look like in your town, in your city, if his kingdom came? If the realities of heaven were seen on earth? And I want you to declare that this morning. I want you to pray that out this morning. I want you to be expectant. I want you to be expectant. We lose our expectancy like children have of the Father. And so I want an increase of expectancy of what God wants to do, but also an increase expectancy of how much the Father loves you and how he longs for more of you and how he longs to use you for things in his kingdom. But really all he wants right now is for you to sit at the table and to talk and to enjoy getting to know him in a way that you've never done in your life. And I know for a few of you this language might seem strange.
So God, for this church, we're asking for creative ways in which we can engage with the community, in which we can get outside these walls to bring your hope and peace and love to our community. God, we're asking right now, it's not just about Neil, it's not just about the leaders. We're asking for corporately, Lord, that you would birth dreams, that you would give visions, that you would bring tears for our community, God. We're asking for tears for Rich Hill, for Armagh, for Market Hill, for Portadown, for Dungannon. Lord, wherever people are from in this room, we're asking for tears that will break our heart and will sustain us, God. It won't just be in the moment, but it will be something that will be sustained. And we're crying out for a move of your spirit like we've never seen before, God. As we, as individuals, learn to carry your presence, then, God, I believe that we're going to see so much more as we come together as your people. Come on. Amen. Let's just worship.